0: Welcome to another edition of the And You Shall Know That I Am Yahweh, an Ezekiel podcast. Very glad you're here today. I'm Ethan. Let's get into the text. We're in Ezekiel chapter 3 and in verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and if you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. You see here, it begins with this idea that at the end of seven days, well, seven days from what? Well, as we'd seen in chapters one and two, in the earlier part of chapter three, seven days earlier, Ezekiel, 30 years old, was at the edge of the Shabar Canal in Babylon, where he had been in exile for five years, having been part of the exile in the days of Jehoiakim in 597. Uh, At this time, there is still a temple in Jerusalem. Zedekiah is still reigning in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel should, as a priest, begin his ministration in the temple, but he is in exile. Hundreds of miles from the temple. Yet Yahweh has now called him to be a prophet. He calls him in a very dramatic and vivid way. He sees a vision of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. And he sees the cherubim and the wheels and uh, throne and the one on the throne and is overwhelmed by the experience. And he has been called to go and speak, saying, Thus says the Lord Yahweh to the people of the exiles. He's not supposed to expect that they're going to listen. They are a rebellious house. They're transgressors like their fathers have been transgressors. They're not going to listen to him. Uh, But God is strengthening and sustaining him to go and tell them his message. And so that vision was seen. And for seven days, uh, Ezekiel sat dumbfounded among the uh, exiles along the Shabar Canal. And after this seven-day period, God now speaks to him again. And and everything we see in chapter 3 from verse 16 through 27 uh, is not yet his prophetic message. It kind of sits in this very uncomfortable place because really it's still part of his call. This is uh, God commissioning Ezekiel, but it's not a part of the official vision scene that has already taken place Uh earlier this is kind of seven days later uh it's not secondary it's still a very major part of how ezekiel is supposed to see himself and we're supposed to understand does not get out to the people about him being a watchman it in fact only will come out in chapter 33 uh, in the year around 586 or so when the the city is about to fall or after it falls that is when the people will uh, be told the message about the watchman uh, to demonstrate that Ezekiel will have performed the function of the watchman, that that Ezekiel will uh, ultimately succeed at his job as a watchman inasmuch as he warned the people, Um, not that they listened. So he was able to accomplish what he was supposed to accomplish. So the Israelites were not unaware that he was under this burden or obligation but he very much acutely is and so we've got this watchman imagery so what's the watchman imagery well again in ancient times you have city walls and you've got um, all of this area out in front of the city all around the city and you rarely had a standing army at the ready at any moment. You, you had some kind of army, and a lot of you know times it would be townspeople and the uh, farmers around the town who would, would come and be your, your military in the time of need. Uh, but you have to muster everybody. You have to have everybody ready. And so the ability for a city to withstand an enemy invasion is going to be dependent upon the notice it gets when it has difficulty. And so a watchman would stand at the walls and would watch for either a fire signal from a a town uh, to warn them or to actually see the oncoming enemy and to sound the alarm. And uh, if a watchman is asleep in the middle of the night and there is an ambush by an enemy, uh, the townspeople may not be ready, they may not be mustered, uh, they might all be out in the farmlands, there may be uh, a really bad, difficult situation. Uh, And since the people aren't ready, uh, it's really the watchman to blame. Yes, they're still going to die, but the watchman is really responsible because he didn't do his job. Um, and, and that's kind of the illustration here going on with Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is the watchman, uh, is supposed to warn the people not about the coming of the Babylonians, although that's part of it. it he's warning uh, about the judgment coming from God. And so if he needs to warn the wicked people to cease their wickedness. If they don't cease their wickedness... Uh, it, then you know, their blood is upon them. That, that's the difference. You know? Even if, uh, if Ezekiel doesn't warn them and they continue their wickedness, they're still going to be condemned. And it's very important to understand this about any kind of proclamation, any kind of, uh, of thing like this, that uh, those who are in their sins will still die. Uh, that doesn't change. What, what changes, though, is that the blood, the responsibility for that is also upon um, the watchman. The watchman will save his soul, i.e. Ezekiel will save his soul if he proclaims a message and they hear, they don't do anything about it, and they persist in their sins. And there's also the interesting thing about the righteous, that if the righteous person just turns from his righteousness and falls into sin, uh, the blood will be held at the hand of the watchman. But if you warn the righteous person, um, and he does not sin, he will live, and you will have delivered your soul. The idea that the righteous need this continual reminder. Uh, And that's also part of it. So it's not even just that there's the rebellious uh, that need to be told that they're in the wrong and need to change, that the righteous need to be reminded that they need to keep doing what is right. And both of those are important. We really neglect that latter part about the righteous a lot. And we kind of create a caricature that all the Israelites are these, you know, horribly rebellious people. If they were that horribly rebellious people, there wouldn't be any Israelites left uh, after the exile. So uh, we should never take it to the extreme and and make it absolute. The vast majority are rebellious to some degree or another. Some are very hardened. Some are kind of more compromised. And one of the important things we're going to try to do as we go through all these different uh, statements and to understand how the Israelites are receiving Ezekiel's message is to look at their mentality and kind of get sort out some of the modern distortions uh, and set them aside so that we can look at them more honestly and therefore really be able to better appreciate what ezekiel's saying how it's being heard and why it's not being heeded. but here at this point still very abstract because it's it's the commission and the call very important aspect and we already kind of mentioned it is who ezekiel's watching out for like we said normally the enemy is a foreign nation uh, but here, the, Ezekiel, the watchman, is watching out for Yahweh. And this is a very scary proposition for Israel, that the, the danger, the warning that Ezekiel needs to blare out is Yahweh is coming, the day of Yahweh is coming. And if Ezekiel doesn't warn the people, uh, then it, it's not going to go well for him when Yahweh comes. And so it's not just this encouraging message that we got in chapters 2 and earlier in 3 that I will strengthen you, I will, I will give you what you need even though you're going to be in distress. There's also this very just true warning. Look, if you don't do this, you don't warn them, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. Uh, blood, a very important thing in ancient Israel. Uh, we see that in the law that there is blood guilt, that uh, the shedding of blood, the loss of blood is a very serious grave matter, and uh, somebody's going to be held responsible for the shedding of blood. And when this happens, what Ezekiel's doing is saving himself from being held responsible for the blood of others, even though uh, they have certainly, it's not they haven't deserved it in terms of because of their sin, but if you've not warned them, behold, you, you will have the blood guilt and you do not want to appear before God with blood guilt. Like I said, this watchman imagery will come back in in chapter 33 and the people will see that Ezekiel has been that watchman. And watchman imagery ever since has kind of been appropriated for preaching. Uh, Watchman imagery has also been appropriated uh, by some who have appointed themselves to be as a watchman, uh, looking out for perhaps the doctrinal uh, challenges or infelicities uh, of other uh, preachers or other Christians. And we need to be very careful about this. Uh, Are there parallels that can be made? Absolutely, there are parallels that can be made. Uh, But we need to see here very clearly that Ezekiel didn't ask for this job. God appointed him this way, and it's a trust to proclaim the message. Yes, we are to go and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark sixteen fifteen, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, we do not get the impression in the New Testament that if we do not preach to somebody that their blood is on our head. Uh, That particular burden is not explicitly given to us. We should not, therefore, act like we have no responsibility. If we truly love somebody, we're going to tell them about Jesus because we do not want them to uh, have to stand before their God without having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And we might very well be condemned as unloving toward our fellow man or having capitulated to fear or having been ashamed of the gospel. Those are very possible judgments if we do not tell other people about Jesus but that's not exactly the same as being guilty of their uh, blood guilt because we did not tell them and that burden is not explicitly imposed upon Christians in the New Covenant And, uh, of course, a very strong warning anybody who would decide to stand up and decide they are going to become the uh, watchman for uh, doctrinal fidelity and accuracy. Uh, Very strong warnings in Romans 14 and James 4 about becoming the judges of your fellow uh, Christians, that uh, when you become a judge, you're no longer a doer but a judge, and uh, all of us will stand before the judge. Uh, We will all stand for before our master. That does not mean that we have no obligation toward one another to remind one another of of the sound doctrine in Jesus, that if we do see somebody who uh, begins teaching certain system with the gospel, that we do not try to encourage them and talk to them about that, and if they refuse to change, to uh, uh, point out to other people that what they are saying is not consistent with the gospel of Christ. That's not to deny uh, the importance of some of that work. It is the danger in deciding that we can be the watch watchmen because then the question is who's watching the watchmen and what happens if the watchmen themselves have an unhealthy view of things and that unfortunately kind of goes with the territory because those who would appoint themselves as watchmen uh, generally should be watched themselves because if you are in a healthy place with your doctrine and with your work, uh, your hands are full trying to uh, encourage the Christians where you are and to tell other people in there about Jesus, and you just don't have the time, energy, and investment ability to be as concerned about what everybody else is doing. And that's, that's generally true with a lot of things, that there are people who are out busy doing things, and then there are people who are uh, going to point themselves as supervisors for everybody else. And uh, the Lord has established in his church that there are to be elders over uh, individual congregations. They are the, the supervisors. Uh, he has not established in his wisdom a uh, individual coterie of uh, evangelist preachers or elders to kind of decide things for everybody and uh, we should perhaps uh, heed that wisdom and value it and uh, certainly not desire to be appoint, to appoint ourselves as-, as-, as watchmen for the brotherhood and be uh, somewhat concerned about those who would. Carrying on, uh, in verse 22, And the hand of Yahweh was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of Yahweh stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Shabar canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you will be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house." But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So Ezekiel is apparently in his house, and, or in this area of the people, and then he is asked to go out again. He goes to the valley. He sees again the, the, the glory of Yahweh like he saw uh, earlier and he is um, given two charges he is to shut himself within his house and he's going to have cords placed upon him. he's going to be bound we would say he would be under house arrest and his tongue will stick to the roof of his mouth he will not be able to speak to the people except the words of yahweh when he's when yahweh uh, wants him to speak he will then be able to speak and uh, this is a sign act for the house of israel he is going to be bound because they are a rebellious house he's not able to reprove them because they will not listen Um, there are some commentators who very bizarrely just can't accept that this is a long-term thing nothing in the text suggests that ezekiel leaves his house again or speaks again, save the words Yahweh gives him, until the moment in chapter 33 when his tongue is loosed. And even after 33, uh, it's possible that he's able to go out again among the people, uh, but there's no explicit evidence of that. In fact, we're going to see that the elders of, of, of Israel sometimes visit him in his house, very much strongly suggesting that, yes, he is under house arrest. So this is very interesting. He's a prophet to the people, but he doesn't go out to the people. He is locked where he is. But the message that he says goes out from his house. How does that work? Who knows? Maybe he's up on his porch and he speaks the word out. Uh, Maybe he's on the roof of his house doing it. Maybe he's out the window. People come and hear it. Um, We aren't there. Not a whole lot is said. Um, But the fact that this theme comes up again. The fact that in chapter 24, when the siege of Jerusalem begins, he is told, when the siege is ended and, the, and it's all over, somebody will come and visit you and then your tongue will be loosed and you will speak again. And then it actually is fulfilled, it marked as fulfilled in chapter 33. It will strongly suggest that throughout this whole time, the only words that Ezekiel is going to speak are the words Yahweh gives him to speak. And otherwise he is mute, he can only communicate by signs or writing. And he is bound not in terms of truly like with ropes tied around his arms or something, but that he is constrained to stay within his house uh, for, as far as we can tell, at least the next seven years, maybe even longer. Uh, we can't know for certain. But these are the beginning of the synax, and as we carry on, it will become chapter four, which is. Um, a continuation of this call um, on the seventh day. Uh, we will begin to see the kind of sign acts that he's going to do in order to communicate a message to Israel. And so all of this, again, we've, we've had the, the original call, and then seven days later we have a second kind of, uh, a, a, a second appearance at least, and, and almost a second type of calling uh, that kind of adds here extra message that you are going to go and you're going to proclaim this message, but you're not really going to proclaim the message. You're going to stay where you are and you will speak the message. And whether they hear, they hear. If they don't, they don't. Uh, But you've done your job. um, And they will know that uh, they have heard the words of a prophet in their midst. We again thank you. We look forward to continuing on the journey with Ezekiel. May the Lord guide, bless, and direct you until we're able to meet again. Thank you.